kei aku manu kura taumai ki te hui. Ko mihi ngā rangi tēnei, e mihi atu nei ki a koutou katoa. Welcome to the hui, Māori current affairs for all Aotearoa. E taroa ki nei. Are we on the brink of a public health crisis? Okay, so she's due for her MMR, which is measles, mumps and rubella. Why are Māori childhood vaccination rates plummeting? This is a long-standing issue with whānau, years and years of mistrust of our health system. Our panel of experts discuss how to support whānau to protect their tamariki from preventable diseases. The only way you can get whānau to make better choices is to create environments like this, safe places for them to come. And we reveal the results of an exclusive poll on Māori immunisation. With the end of the traffic light system, COVID is clearly no longer the overwhelming focus for health providers. But while the world has been dominated by the pandemic, another deadly threat to our tamariki has been growing. Immunisation rates for killer diseases such as measles have been dropping, particularly amongst Māori. And a combination of vaccine fatigue, a growing distrust of health information and parents' need to focus simply on surviving day-to-day -day means there will be an uphill battle to get our babies properly protected. The latest stats show that more across the motu, more than 67% of six-month-olds are fully vaccinated. For Māori, it's just under 46%. And for Māori pepe in counties Manukau, the centre of the last measles outbreak, it's just over 34%. We saw in our opening pitches the great efforts that the team at Manurewa Marae are making to get those figures up higher. The Hui commissioned a survey of Māori by Horizon Research to look at what lies behind these figures. We found most whānau view vaccinations as important and wanted to get their tamariki immunised. Our panel will discuss those results shortly, but first I spoke to Teresa Olsen, who's been delivering healthcare from Kōkiri Marae in the Hutt Valley for the past 20 years. And I asked her, why aren't tamariki being immunised? So some of the things that our vaccinators tell us, when they go to the houses, the, the whānau are no longer there. They go to the houses and actually that person never existed in that house. And they can't come to the health centres because they don't have transport. So there's all of those factors that we have to consider. But as well as that, it's about the priorities for many of our whānau. Unfortunately, many of our whānau are living with family violence. Many of our whānau are living with poverty. Many of our whānau are living in emergency houses. Many of our whānau are living in motels. What is the priority? Their priority is trying to live with family violence. Their priority is trying to find out where they're going to get the next meal from. Their priority is trying to find somewhere for them to live. It's okay when you've got all of those things, right? Then you can sit down and focus on your health. But if you haven't, your focus is something totally different. What about your community? Where, where are your numbers? Um, our numbers aren't the greatest either, particularly since COVID and it's really, really concerning. And so we are mounting a campaign now to try and increase that and improve that. We purchased two camper vans during COVID. And so we're now um, using those camper vans and going out to the community again 
in offering those vaccinations closer to the homes for Fano. The one more thing I want to say is about what we're creating in terms of Fano living in emergency housing and living in motels. So the last time I looked, there's kind of like over 10,000 Fano living in motels, right? And over 4,500 of those are tamariki. It is now increasingly even more difficult to try and provide services to whānau living in motel units. Would that be an option though, if authorities gave you permission to go and visit motel by motel? But then you go to the motel and the motel owners don't allow that to happen, to just go and knock on the doors and um, see whether or not you can provide services there. Would that be something that you'd really like, a coordinated approach where you have the authority to visit these, these four and a half thousand kids? Yeah, I think we've got to relook at that because the reality is that they're going to continue to live there for a long time to come, right? And so we need to do something about it. We need to provide better care for those living in motels. Well, joining me in studio to Wananga, how we lift childhood vaccination rates are Tipuye Winiata from Turiki Healthcare on the front line in South Auckland, Dr Anthony Jordan, immunologist, and Juliet Rumble-Smith, Director of Intelligence from the National Public Health Service. Tēnā koutou, thank you so much for bringing all your brains and your experience to this important Wananga. Let's go with you, Anthony. What are those stats telling you? Those stats are telling us that our tamariki, our tamariki Māori in particular, are at risk. They're at risk of vaccine-preventable diseases. They're at risk of outcomes that are purely uh, preventable in terms of harm to our tamariki. So these are things that we're able to act upon. Um, so using all of that infrastructure that we've had, even relationships that we've built over time, so just picking up on some of what Teresa said, looking to working with Motel providers are a really good example about how we can access those parts of our community that have not always been well serviced by the healthcare system. Mm. Uh, Tabuya, you know, you're out in South Auckland uh, at the coalface, really. When you look at those stats, in particular the county's Manukau one, you must be really worried about what's coming. Absolutely. And of course, um, I just want to pick up on the fact that we're still recovering from COVID. We've had two years of not being able to have a good flow through of whānau being able to access the clinic. Um, also that, you know, a lot of our services have been virtual. So the ability for us to engage, have that that ongoing relationship and to have a good discussion about immunisations um, hasn't happened. So we're certainly building um, that track back into the clinics. But of course, you know, some of the challenges is uh, that we're still experiencing, particularly with flu and COVID, our workforce uh, being short-staffed. So it means that uh, whānau aren't actually getting the time to talk and discuss and find out information. Um, and also that, you know, we have to think differently. Uh, we need to be able to flex and flow with what whānau are saying. And I agree, I mean, often uh, immunisations aren't front of mind. Um, we need to actually understand the priorities for whānau, respond to those first, Mm. and to have that relationship. You make a really good point um, that you know, you're recovering and actually South Auckland, County's Manukau is probably 
uh, when you look at the overall COVID numbers, you guys got, you know, you got really um, um, smashed, really, when it came to the numbers. So your workforce and your people are just kind of coming back. Uh, Yes, and also during that time, I have to say that we we turned our workforce to doing testing and vaccinating mm. and doing um, home isolation services. So it's re-pivoting that workforce to still hold some in that place because that's really important uh, ongoing. But we just had to have it was like being in a war zone. Mm. We just had to focus on those things, um, and now we're turning our our eyes back, our gaze back. Uh, to the things that are now before us, like child immunisations. Julia, you know you're here with your um, Health New Zealand hat, but you're a doctor, so you actually know and you can hear this uh, this corridor. Are you, you know, how concerned are you? Oh, we're really concerned. I mean, those numbers, what they mean, like what Anthony said, is that there's tamariki out there who are vulnerable and who are vulnerable to some really significant diseases. However, there's some of the findings that uh, I really want to acknowledge your researchers. Some of the findings were, were encouraging. So an overwhelming majority said that they understood that how important immunisations were. Important or extremely important. So that's a fantastic base to go from. But it's clear that we need to do more and that we need to meet people's needs and support them. Um, Māori have always said, you know, I think Māori and Pauls have always said they want to do it. It's mm. just about the accessing. And as Teresa and Tapuya talk about no car, you're, you're involved with domestic violence at home, you've got no money. So how do you make a coordinated um, approach that fits the needs of different communities? Yeah, I really get that. And, you know, I've, I've got four kids and I can say that, that for my premature twins, I really needed a little bit mm. extra TLC and a few more extra chats. So I think it's really important that we hear what we're, what we're the information and the korero that we're being given and that we respond. It's a good thing if whanau are asking questions. It means they're taking the well-being of their children really seriously. It's also, it's about choice. Some whanau want people to come to them. That's great. That's why we've got mobile clinics and we've got people working in more diverse ways than they ever have before. And others want to come in and talk to the person that they trust who knows their whanau for multiple generations. And that's great too. So we can meet their needs too. And it's about working with folk like Tapuia, the people on the ground, with Anthony, to really have a flexible system that supports everywhere with their needs. If we did have, uh, you know, if our, if our preparation and our planning was actually working, would we have 34% in counties Manukau though? Well, I think it's as Tupuia said, we were, you know, absolute in turning our focus for COVID. And if you look at the rolling one month averages and rolling three month averages, as we went through COVID, there was a hit. You know, our immunisation rates, not just for Māori, but across the board, would drop off. Just as we are starting to recover, we'd go back into another lockdown and it would take a hit again. As we're seeing now, even in counties, Monaco, we're starting to see finally an upward turn in those one-month rolling averages. So we're starting to make gains, but it's a very, very risky period for us. You know, if a measles case arrived today, yep. these kids are vulnerable. You know, so Are we on the brink of an um, epidemic? Well, for measles, you know, we look to the Philippines where there are cases now, and so we always say, you know, a measles outbreak 
is one flight away. So we are absolute in our focus alongside all of it. So I think of uh, Takutai and the team at Manurewa Marae, how they've been working uh, to get MMR rates up. You know, Tapuya and her teams, there's so many teams out there working on this, taking all of that COVID infrastructure, all of that knowledge and engagement and access that we've never had before and looking to childhood immunisations. Uh, after the break, what our poll reveals about why Fano aren't vaccinating. Welcome back to our Hui special on childhood immunisations. When the Hui Horizon Research Poll asked Māori who'd not fully vaccinated their tamariki, why not? Here's what they said, and a note, respondents were able to select more than one answer. So more than a quarter don't trust the vaccine side effects, roughly the same, say COVID has put them off even thinking about immunisations. One in five don't trust vaccines, and a similar number reckon they're just worn out by the pandemic. Uh, that's a significant level of distrust amongst this group. Tapuya, what are your whānau telling you about why they're not vaccinating? I do have to go back to the basics around access and some of the barriers, um, just like Teresa was saying, in terms of you know the resources to get to places, not knowing where to go if they've become disconnected with their GP, etc., etc. Uh, so there, there are those sorts of issues. But also, I do agree that you know. Um, and again, COVID is, has been a great teacher for us, that where we saw good uptake was where we actually went out and partnered with other communities, and particularly Marae, um, and they were the front of the shop, if you like, and um, it was a party, you know, oh, hi, auntie, hi, cousin, you've come for your vaccination. And I, I think that we need to build on those kind of relationships because the trust, whānau trust their whānau. Mm. Whānau trust a familiar place uh, in terms of marae or, or places where they go like schools and kohanga reo and kura. Uh, so to leverage off that to get uh, whānau engaged, even if it's just a conversation about child immunisations, I mm. think that's great, but also be prepared to be opportunistic if they want to be vaccinated at the same time. So I think some of those things that we learnt through COVID need to actually now be crossed over to our, our targeted approach around child immunisations. Mm. And I do, I can't understate the importance of a relationship mm. where a mama can come in and talk about what her concerns are um, and to be able to have that time with the health practitioner. Yeah, Ma Māori um, health providers already knew this prior to COVID. That's why the COVID uh, vaccination rollouts were so successful. And I think Waipareta the other day said they, I think, vaccinated something like, I actually can't remember the name, but it was huge, 80% of the community. Um, because, you know, Whatuoro and New Zealand Health know this, what, you know, wouldn't you be like putting, putting the the gears straight into five overdrive to get these kinds of things happening and devolving the resources and the contracts to places like Tūriki, like Waipareira, like Muma. Yeah, that, that, that's a really good um, observation. And I guess what I would say is that we are doing that as well as looking enough, long term. Fast enough? What, we can always do things better, you know, that, that's, but we're all one team and we're all working together to try and flex and respond as best we can. 
I guess we've got some uh, really important initiatives. We're, we're squeezing every ounce of learning out of the COVID vaccine rollout and trying to apply it to childhood IMS. And that's, um, that's at every layer of the system. So that's from data sharing with, with uh, Māori health providers and social, social welfare providers. It's about our technology infrastructure. It's about funding for providers like Tapuia, more funding for outreach services. And it's even about building a longer, more, a, a better workforce so that these childhood immunisation programmes are in a better state for Māori going forward. Mm. So we've got a long-term approach as well as a short-term one. Listening to both, you know, the, the concerns, the needs, and then some of the solutions, you are kind of independent, so you can can say what you want. Like, what what more would you like? I think it's exactly what um, both Tapu and Juliet said: is to look at the holistic health needs of Fano. You know. You get one opportunity sometimes to engage people and you've got to engage them based on the needs of the whānau. And then, similarly to what Juliet said, you need to come in with the service that's right for that whānau to give them what they need. We know for childhood IMS, if we get in there and do the right engagement really early on, from six weeks onwards, we set up a long-term relationship with that whānau, not just with the tamariki, but also, you know, the... Uh, Hapu Mama next time around in terms of, you know, sort of prenatal and antenatal engagement, it becomes better. Some so, of the concerns in the, in the vaccination for COVID were that there wasn't the work staff and so places like Waipareira, they made, they turned people into it. Do we, you know, we, do, do we have a work staff to be able to tackle childhood immunisations? So that's currently the part of what we've been tasked with is taking that what was previously the COVID vaccinating workforce, transforming them into a broader vaccinating health workforce, extending that pharmacy offering as well. You know, pharmacy, regardless of what what um, we may have done previously, has become, you know, I can go on my own sort of schedule, whether it be a Saturday or a Sunday, those opening hours are a bit later. It's been really amazing to see the contribution that pharmacy has been able mm -hmm. to make to our immunisation programme. So we're taking all of that workforce and saying, actually, you've shown us what you can achieve just in one vaccine. How can we do more of this? What about other agencies and organisations? Sometimes it seems like there's a disconnect between like Ministry of Ed and MSD and Theresa was talking about, oh, if we could get into the motels, it would be, you know, be really easy. Do we need more of that high level kind of relationship? Well, sometimes it, it works best at a, at a regional and local level and I'm part of a a network called Taumata Kōrero, <coughs> which spans across South Auckland and Central Auckland. And we work um, at our network meetings. We have government agencies there. So that combination of government agencies, providers on the ground, and other key people being part of that network has really been able to drive us forward mm. uh, very quickly. And sometimes it's just because someone hasn't coordinated with MSD that this is a gap which we could fill or they could actually move into to work with us closer on. As a clinical director at the new health service, is that something you're going to push to have um, you know, more access to information in other portfolios and other ministries? 
Oh, absolutely, because um, immunisation is only one of the, the health needs for these kitties and for their whanau. You know, people have a lot going on and actually what might be the most pressing problem might be something that's better, better offered by social services, for example. So we really want to work as one team and that's why the Te Ora, the Māori Health Authority, is so important and I'm really excited at this phase of the, of the health system reforms that we'll, we'll be able to work so closely with them. Well, next, what does our poll tell us about the economics of vaccination? Even before the pandemic, researchers were warning immunisation for tamariki Māori had dropped from around 70% to 45% in just three years. Our Hui Horizon research poll of Māori found a slightly higher rate of immunisation at 54%, but the poll found a significant difference depending on household income. Households earning under $50,000 were less likely to fully immunise tamariki on time compared to those earning above $150,000. So, uh, the economics of vaccination uh, and politically people are split when it comes to incentivising, but I want to ask that question anyway. Should we be incentivising people who are earning less than $50,000 who obviously it's, it's a um, roadblock for them to va vaccinate their, to immunise their children? Well, I think what those surveys are showing is the huge pressures on those whānau, and that includes these financial pressures as well. And I suspect that that's overflowing into every aspect of their life, and mm. you know, obviously including their uh, their ability to get baby to the to the doctor to get their vaccinations. So we really need to respond to that, and that's exactly what people like Tapuia are doing on the ground. So supporting folk with uh, transport into primary care, taking vaccinations to them, because it's real. It's really hard to get time off work, yeah. and it's really hard to get transport or borrow a car or take the bus to get into these places. Mm. So we really need a system that works flexibly, and that's why you'll see that we're delivering services in more different ways by more different people and in more different places than we ever have before, mm. which is fantastic. It's been a real, um, a real legacy piece out of that vaccination rollout. Anthony, we're talking about incentivising and, you know, we talk about, oh, well, we're going to support people to get their babies to come to the clinic and things like that. But the reality is you and I can take a day off, no problem. Our bosses are like sweet as. But most people have to actually take a day without pay. That's actually money coming out of their pocket. So how do we make a difference? Yeah, and I think that's really difficult because... Um Incentivise versus enable and promote are quite different terms. So, you know, being able to uh, talk with employers to enable people to take time off for their own health as well as the health of their tamariki is a really important piece of work that we need to step in and start saying, what have we learned over the COVID period in terms of the leave support scheme is actually people were able to do things that were in the best mm -hmm. interest of the health of themselves, but also for the health and well-being of the whole community by being able to participate in isolation. I think when we start getting into talking about incentives, we start getting 
skewed sort of views of what that may mean. And the Vaxathon. Let's talk about the Vaxathon. Yeah. You know, we managed to like bump the rates right up yeah. through the roof. Should we be doing that? So those are fun events. They get people engaged. They're not, you know, although it was a Vaxathon, actually most of these events were about having fun with vaccine available, having really important conversations about other health needs as well. So again, starting a relationship on a positive pathway. Can't we just give some of our whānau cash? They need it. Well, that's where I start to get a little bit worried. It's not about the money in terms of incentivising, but when people, if you come around and ask again, what did you feel about when we offered you money, they start to get more suspicious of us. So I worry about that distrust figure. Have we seen when we've offered money that there's an element of coercion in there? So enabling people, mm. agree. Tapuya, you, um, Tūriki Health runs a very interesting um, dual kind of kaupapa. Tell us about that. Mm. Well, certainly at the beginning of the year when we knew that um, the uh, boosters were available and also um, COVID immunisations for uh, children, that we decided to have one of those fun events. But we also thought about what are some of the key issues for whānau and particularly our tamariki, and that ha actually happened to be dental. So we partnered up with Dental Planner. And so you they, come for a, t for a check and yeah. for, a for a boost or immunisation. Yes. And did, did you get the numbers? Yes, we, we did get considerable numbers. It's not running a mobile service uh, with a partner uh, means that we're reliant on uh, them and their availability. But in those big events, it, it worked out really, really well. And of course, that's... Um, Father was saying, our children haven't been at school. We haven't had access to the mm. regional dental service. And so I think the, the great thing is about being able to see people and whānau holistically. Mm. What are the range of issues? And immunisation is one mm. of a range of issues that Should, whānau have. Kapai, um, when it comes to budgets and things like that, shouldn't the budget just be endless because, you know, it's a false economy when you do have an outbreak and it costs millions and millions of dollars. Do you, have we got enough money in the budget for what we're trying to achieve here? So, I mean, you're right that immunisation is an enormously cost-effective intervention, and we say that because it's super effective, but it also it prevents a whole heap of heartache and illness later mm. on. But I guess what I would say is we know what, what we do works when we do it and that we can see the difference that it makes when uh, and would, midwives have really positive conversations with their happy mama about immunisation and pregnancy, the difference it makes when practice nurses and GPs are able to have those conversations and the difference it makes when we have these awesome fun events that make immunisation just a part of our wellbeing. So I think we're on the right track. It's just... It, Potentially people need a little bit more support to get to these events and to have these conversations and that's what this big push is about, about getting our tamariki better protected. What's the human cost of not immunising? So let's just take an example of measles, you know, highly effective vaccine, 93% effective after one dose, up to 97% after two doses. If we look at what happens when you catch measles as an unvaccinated person, one in 20 can get pneumonia, one in 100 can get inflammation around yeah. their brain. Let's go back to 2019 here in Aotearoa. Over 50% of the people who got measles here ended up in hospital. Those are all 
costs, yep. personal costs, system costs. So when we're talking, just like Juliet said, about highly effective, those are the sorts of things that we say, spend here, save here, and you're saving human costs too. Good place to end. Tēnā koutou, i aku manuhiri tuarangi i mihi ana ki a koutou katoa. Uh, and a special thank you to the team at Manurewa Marae for allowing us to film their vaccination drive. Ko hoki te manu kōrero ki tāna rongohua no hora mai rā. Kia ora, thank you. Te puna whakatongarewa te hui i tautoko.